When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The A-List Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. This episode of the A-List Podcast is brought to you by Indeed.com, Factor Meals, and FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. Yes, that's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is the A-List Podcast. Ashrod Blakely, Gary Washburn. I'm Kwani Lunas. And the NBA season is finally over, officially. But let's start, start of course, this is still a Celtic-centric podcast. We're going to start with the Celtics. They added Charles Lee to their coaching staff. He will be the new associate head coach of the Boston Celtics. He's coming from Milwaukee with that experience as well. He also interviewed for other head coaching vacancies over the offseason, but it sounds like he's going to land in Boston. Let's just start from the beginning. What do you two make of that coaching hire for the Boston Celtics? Good hire. I mean, this way, Gary. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I think it's a solid hire. He's an aspiring head coach. He brings some fresh ideas coming from an arch rival of the Celtics. I think he will bring a very good and positive perspective, just like Sam Cassell will. I think it's a the, the proper move. You've got to bolster the coaching staff, you know, and I think that, that this is an example that, you know, unfortunately last year, you know, the coaching staff just what didn't wasn't um, up to par, you know. You had guys who weren't experienced. You had guys who were first time in a certain position. You didn't really have an uh, NBA veteran player, former player on there. You didn't have a guy that they could really look up to, the players could look up to or listen to or or completely under, know that they've been where they where those guys have been. So I think the hiring of Cassell fills that role. And then Charles Lee's a guy who, had, who commands respect around the league. Solid assistant, I said, like on the verge you know, this should be his last assisting head coaching job. He'll this his next job will likely be as a head coach somewhere. And you know, it could be the Celtics. Who knows? But uh, I'm not throwing it out there. I'm just saying, like, who knows? But respectfully, you know, Gary's just throwing it out. No shade. No shade. No shade. Respectfully, but he lived in. <laughs> he he interviewed for the Toronto job. He didn't get it. The Memphis assistant got it. So he's close. So I think this will be a good stepping stone. Obviously, it wasn't, you know, Milwaukee uh, fired Mike Budenholzer, so he wasn't going to go back to Milwaukee. But this is a new good opportunity for him to be the lead assistant, give Joe some really good, strong uh, point of views and feedback, and hopefully strengthen this coaching staff to the point where it's not a weakness, it's a strength. Yeah, it, it just felt that, you know, as we kind of look back at last season, there really was this almost musical chairs-like feel about this coaching staff where you had people going around in different roles that they weren't accustomed to, that they didn't really have a ton of experience at, and hoping that once the music stopped, 
everyone will have a seat and you can just move on and win a lot of games and win a championship. And it didn't happen. Uh, I like the Charles Lee addition because he brings not only in terms of experience, but I think he brings a certain uh, defensive mindset that I think they needed to add to this coaching staff. I think he also brings a guy that is young enough to relate to them and has been through enough to where there's going to be a certain level of respect. You know, Jason Tatum knows all too well what that Milwaukee defense can do and how challenging it can be for you. Same thing with Jalen Brown. So he's going to come in with, I think, a different kind of respect uh, that they need in that lead, you know, associate head coach role. Uh, And the other thing, too, and and Gary, you kind of alluded to it, but I'm going to just take it a little step further. He's going to make Joe Mazzula better because Joe Mazzula knows that if he doesn't get better, guess what? They kind of got somebody who is very similar to you in terms of experience, in terms of, of, of all those things that you want to check off the box, who's right next to you. So if you don't get better, they got somebody who can take your spot. I think that's going to be a good thing for Joe Mazzou. And so I think it's going to make them better. It's going to make Joe a better coach. And it's going to make this team, I think, get one step closer to the ultimate goal, which is to win a championship. What do you think are the skill sets that he brings to the table for this team other than the obvious one, obvious ones that you mentioned? Well, the defense, I, I think, is, is one. And not only in terms of just team-wide defense, but making guys better defenders individually. You look at Chris Middleton, and you look at where he was maybe four or five years ago to where he's at now defensively, completely different player. He was a walking turnstile years ago. Now, not nearly as as frankly defensive deficient as he was before. And I think that's the thing that he, I think Charles Lee is going to bring to the table. Uh, he's going to make individuals better. Uh, and that's frankly, I think what this team is, they need guys to be better at the job that they're given to do. Guard your yard. They don't have enough guys who, are, who do that consistently. enough. I think Charles Lee will help in that. Regard. Yeah. I, I think that the intangibles of just having a guy who's been there before won the championship as an assistant coach uh, has dealt with superstar power before with Giannis, with Chris Middleton, um, you know, with those other guys in Milwaukee, good, good solid veterans, like, like Bobby Portis and Wesley Matthews. And, you know, for a hot minute, Jay Crowder, just dealing with established veterans and knowing what to do and how to coach those guys. I think it's a very important aspect. So you got two guys that are now joined Missoula who know the game, okay? Who have been around, who have been through championship runs, who have been on championship rosters as a player or as a coach. And I think that that's the experience that Joe needs around him. You know, I just think it's interesting. You know, the organization had to admit, like, okay, this has got to change. And it's great to have guys on your squad, on your coaching staff who are good guys, but it's just more than being just a good guy. It's having the experience. It's it's being able to have influence on the players. It's to be able to have the players not think, oh, he's cool. Like, I don't think that Tatum and Brown disliked any of the coaches or they didn't respect them. I just think that they, you know, but they didn't go and have that uh, conversations where it's like they know that guy has been there. But they go, no, that guy's been on a championship run, you know, and been, uh, you know, in, in a system that has been very successful. 
And I'm not saying that the, the previous coaches had done that, but you know, they just they didn't have the 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 confidence or the influence. You know, if you look at the at the guys, I I think it said you know Ben Sullivan's going to be a good coach. Um, the same with Ben Miles. The same with you know guy I got good very close was Mike Moser. Uh, first year kind of coming in after playing internationally, so he's a young guy, but he can have influence. But I think those guys will probably be more comfortable with someone they know in Ime Udoka in Houston and, and have that influence and, and be able to deal with a younger core, but also have Ime as the guy that like the players can be like, okay, he ain't playing. Where in this situation, it's going to be more of a team effort. I think people will listen to Joe and I'm not saying, I think fully respect Joe, but they'll also be able to joke and laugh around with Sam Cassell who will keep it real with them. They can be able to ask him, hey, man, how is it like playing with Akeem? How is it like playing with Garnett? How is it like playing on those championship teams, you know, in Houston? And that, that you know, that team in, in 08 and stuff, like, you know, he can, he's got two million stories. And I think that's invaluable to these young guys because they like to hear stories. And they want to hear, you know, these guys talk to them about the old days, but also, hey, how can I be better? And get and, and keep it real with me. Don't you know? And I said, said you can't be this guy's buddies and best friends all the time. You gotta be their coach. And I think that in this situation, Charles Lee and Sam Cassell bring those authoritative voices. They've been there before. They've coached on championship rosters, like Darvin Ham, coaching the Milwaukee championship uh, run. Went to the Lakers, very successful first season. So it, it's going to work out. I think this is a, a good positive step. Now, you know, now you got to make the start making a thing about the personnel moves and what you're going to do there. But I also think bolstering the coaches staff, and, you know, you got to add maybe two more coaches to uh, fill out that roster. I think, obviously, I think probably Tony Dobbins will return. And there'll be some other guys, uh, Matt Reynolds maybe, who will come back. But you got to add another, another coach there too, maybe a young rising coach, a guy coming from the G League maybe. Um, who knows? You know, it wouldn't be crazy. They'd had with Carol Lawson to hire a good, a good uh, woman coach, female coach, uh, and add to that, add some variety and some diversity to that coaching staff. Somebody, there's plenty of uh, former WNBA players, former c- coaches who would love to join the Celtic staff and have a lot of influence and a lot of impact. So uh, hopefully, they'll go in that direction too. Well, you kind of took my yeah. follow-up. I was going to ask, how would you grade the coaching staff after you last week we had mentioned, both of you had mentioned, that Sam Cassell was a good move, but you were not fully impressed just yet. So what would you grade Rod the coaching staff? I, I, you, I, I mean, you I weren't like fully impressed. Okay. Sam is my friend. I like That's Sam. my guy. This is his Sher- guy. <laughs> Sherrod was the one who was saying, <laughs> you got to add more. They ain't enough. <laughs> But go ahead, Shrive. Getting greedy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Gary? Unlike Gary, I'm actually going to stand my ground and say, yes, you absolutely had to add more than, than just Sam Cassell, and they've done that. This is That's why this is such a good hire. If you would have only had Charles Lee and no Sam Cassell, I would have said the same thing. You need to add a certain mindset. You need to have championship pedigree. You need to have guys that have a little bit of an edge to them. Now, I don't, I'm not sure where Charles Lee stands on the edge barometer, but I damn sure know Sam I am is coming in and he got something to say. Uh, Sam is one of those guys that when he was a player, whether he's an assistant coach, there was always this certain level of irrational confidence that he always had. 
It didn't matter what the situation was. It didn't matter who he was playing with. It didn't matter who he had to coach. Sam always had this belief that he could get the most out of either himself or the guys that he's working with and that it was going to work out. You need that type of energy in your locker room if you're trying to win a championship because you're going to have stretches where everything and everyone is going to tell you who you aren't, what you can't do, and what's not realistic. And you need a steady voice that even during the good times is, t- is just filling you up with confidence. And when the bad times, they haven't changed. Sam is that kind of coach. And having a guy like Charles Lee who has – a clear ability to recognize ways to defend at a high level and things of that nature, that, to me, the combination of those two uh, is a really good one-two punch. And, and again, the one thing that you cannot underestimate is when you add people to the mix who have won at the highest level, who've been part of championship caliber wins. That experience is invaluable because it's literally the one thing that I don't care how many players you bring in, how many X's and O's that you've done, gone through, and how amazingly awesome you are in that regard. If you haven't been the last team standing, you don't know what it feels like to be the man. All you know is what it's like to be near the man or be a contender, be in the hunt. You don't know what it's like to be the last team standing when everything and everyone is done. And the only team that can say that we're number one is you and your crew. You bring two guys who have done that both at, you, with Sam, he's done it both as a player and, uh, actually, no, Sam as a player, Charles as a coach. And that experience is invaluable. I think Jason Taylor and, and Jalen Brown specifically are going to benefit more than anyone else because they are the guys that if the Celtics are to take that next step, they're going to be the ones that are going to lead the charges. And having those two coaches specifically on the staff, I think brings them closer to bringing home banner 18. Well, the NBA season may be over, but the action never ends on FanDuel. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. We talk about FanDuel every week on this podcast, one of our great partners, because, one, they have really good promotions on a daily basis right in the app. It's a safe and secure app, which makes it more comforting to know that you're using something that's secure. But finally, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to place bets on with all the playoff action. That's America's number one sports book. You can visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. And again, get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. 20 running over in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms of FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Or you can call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Or 1-800- 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut or 1-800-9-WITH-IT W-I-T-H-I-T in Indiana or all or 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Gambling help 
helplinema.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369 in New York or 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. I should mention that I am on the vineyard. If you're watching on YouTube, you're probably like, where is she? Last week, y'all were both out of Boston. So now finally I get my revenge and I'm enjoying the warmth that is the vineyard. But Gary- You're just bougie, Kwani. We yeah, you know. Bougie. Black and bougie. I just needed to put that out there. But Gary, last time he was in Miami, obviously the season's over. The series is over. The Nuggets are the winner. We're going to actually talk about, in a second, the conversation that you had with Dorchester's own. But let's just recap the game, the series in general. The Nuggets, they win their first NBA title with that Game 5 win over Miami. Jokic, the finals MVP, very, very, very well-deserved. 30.2 points per game, 14. No, in that game, actually, in that specific game, it was 30.2 points, 14 rebounds, and 7.2 assists. Jamal Murray gets a title as well. What did you two, uh, we all kind of predicted this, but what do you think about Denver finally winning it? Go ahead, Gary. Show us some love. Well, I think it was an outstanding performance by the Nuggets. Basically, they outplayed Miami besides one quarter uh, of the series in game two, but the other four games. And Miami played well. You know, they were not going to go out without a fight. They played hard, uh, but their problem was offense. You know, they just couldn't score enough. 89 points last night. I don't, uh, I think they scored over a hundred once um, in the series. You, it's not acceptable. And I know for Celtic fans, it's frustrating because if you look at the numbers from Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, and our friend Caleb Martin, they were not good in the series. Uh, they were just, they were, they were, they were not good in the series. they, and, you know, people can come up with certain reasons as to why, um, you know, what, what did the Duggets do differently? Did, the, did they just play better? I think that they did play better defense than the Celtics. And in, in the series, they ran out the shooters. They were aggressive. They learned they, they, they didn't handle the zone great all the time, but they handled the zone good enough. And. Um, they were able to come out with, with, with some good defense and also, you know, some timely offense. And, and that's the thing. Uh, and, and you know, Jokic is a great player. I think the world can see now that he's the best player in the league. He just has that, you know, 30, like you said, Kwani, 30 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists in the series. Jamal Murray, 21 and 10 assists. Um, Aaron Gordon had a solid series shooting 60% from the field, um, 14 points. Bruce Brown, Dorchester's own. You know, Michael Porter Jr. was not good in the series at all, but he had his, his moments in game five. And if you look at the Miami Heat, you know, not a good series from Jimmy Butler, 41% from the field. Um, Gabe Vincent, 33% from the three-point line. Uh, Caleb Martin, 33% from the three-point line, seven points. I mean, it, it's it's a crazy, uh, the numbers. I mean, if you look at the numbers, 
Let me if I do my my hood math here. Uh, Vincent we love Hood University or, math. Yes, Vincent Martin and Struess were combined. They hit twenty one three pointers in the series combined. I think they hit fifty against, against the Celtics in the seven game mm. series. So they were twenty one four. Let me see here thirty. 45. Carry the two, then a one. Carry the four and then divide by seven. And of course, you get. They were 21 for 77 <laughs> from the three point line in the series. 21 for 77 from the three point Ooh. line in the series. So, hmm. I mean, Celtic fans, you know, I'm sure they're frustrated because they kind of, they, they, they leveled out. They shouldn't be, though, because then they would have got demolished by Denver as well. Yeah, some people, I mean, I think they would have provided a better series because they had more offensive weapons. But I just think Denver was a team that was locked in. It was a very, very dominant, very deep team. They played strong defense. And as I say, I think the Celtics just, you know what? Like, they dropped the ball. They should have been in the finals. People were telling me that, you know, throughout the series, you know, that Derek's, you know, the Celtics botched the whole thing and it'd been a good series. Now with the Celtics, well, I don't know, they might have lost in six. But I, I just think you saw one matter of luck or fortune in the terms of just like the, the Miami hit a lot of big shots in that series. I watched Caleb Martin throughout this series against Denver with open shots. And I was like, oh, he gonna hit that. He hit that against Boston, clank, like. He just wasn't himself. He didn't get a lot of shot attempts. But the defense and the Nuggets adjusted. They watched the Celtics series, right? One, run these dudes off the line. Make them shoot contested twos. Don't leave them open for three. Two, you're going to have to let somebody go off, and it was Adebayo. But you know Adebayo ain't hitting no threes. So let him go crazy with the twos. Two, as, and as I was told by the Nuggets, what they said, don't go for Jimmy Butler's pump fakes. The Celtics did that. And don't don't put too much attention on him as the Celtics did and leave open shooters because they'll find him. So I just think those recipes um, to success were the reason that Denver was able to really dominate the series. And I think that they're a complete club. Jokic, I mean, you know, I think people don't respect them, haven't respected them because – he doesn't have crazy athleticism like Giannis, and you know he doesn't talk a lot like Embiid. But the dude is just a masterful player, and it's ugly. I mean, he scores some of these the ugliest baskets and just flips it up there, you know. But it gets in, it gets done. So I think for a franchise like the Nuggets, forty-seven years without a title since joining the NBA in nineteen seventy-six, they, you know, like it, it, you know, it's 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 long overdue, and I think. Two, patience, you know, like Mike Malone did not go the plot of his first three seasons as coach. Remember, they without Jamal Murray, who was hurt last year, they lost in the first round last year to Golden State. Like it was, it was people were like, that's when people were like, wait a minute, Jokic is a, you know, it's a fraud. Like you don't you don't get no team wins. But when you stick with the process, you stick with the plan. And I think that might be a kind of a nod to the Celtics. Hey, boss it's not easy to build a championship team and just keep knocking on the door and it'll go in now do i think the celtics should next year should be their year yeah like absolutely next year is no more no more playing games fix whatever you need to fix 
and make a championship run. And you can look to the Nuggets because the Nuggets have been a team that has kind of knocked on the door for years. Uh, Western Conference Finals in the bubble. They lost to the Lakers. Conference semis. You know, they, they, they've been there, but never been able to get over the top. But this was their year. Remember, when they entered the playoffs, people some people thought Minnesota was going to give them a real tough series. They won in five. Then most people predicted that Phoenix was going to get them. They won that in six. And then most some people predicted the Lakers were going to get them. And they swept the Lakers. They were 16 and four in the playoffs. So outstanding job. And I, and I just think it shows the things the Celtics did not do. They did not learn their lesson. And, you, and it was it was more than just luck that Struess, Vincent, and Martin weren't good. It was defense. It was attention. And maybe that, you know, who knew? I don't think anyone knew Caleb Martin would be such a difference maker in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. But you can't – they gave too many open shots. They put too much attention on Jimmy. And I think Denver was right away was like, okay, we got to give something up. It's going to be out of bio, okay? And someone else is going to have to beat us besides – it's not going to be these guys just shooting open threes. So they didn't. They missed. And, you know, it's frustrating for Celtic Nation, but Denver deserved it. Yeah. I mean, Denver definitely – Deserved it, but when I when I look at Miami's run, it, it was a fairy tale run for so much of the postseason. But you, but let's be honest: at some point, the clock was going to strike midnight, and Miami Heat were going to be exactly who we thought they were, and we saw that against Denver. And all it took to unlock them getting back to being who they were was to force them to make tough plays, force them to shoot with hands in their face. Force them to to defend not just on burner, but defend guys who are cutting to the basket, who you know are ready to catch and finish at the rim. Force them to become uncomfortable because the Celtics did everything but that. Uh, and that, to me, was Miami's demise. They weren't prepared to play a team like Denver because they, frankly, so much of what they did against the Celtics, they weren't going to see that type of comfort from the Denver Nuggets. So they were ill-equipped to deal with the force that Denver came with. Flip side, Denver, uh, they played like a team that had everything. They they played every game like it was game seven. They played with the sense of urgency that when you get to this stage should be a given. But as we've seen with the Celtics, it's not a given. Uh, Denver is the blueprint from an edge, from an approach standpoint, that if you're the Celtics, you want to mimic. You want to play with that sense of urgency from the opening of tip of game one to the final horn sounding in games five, six, or seven. Now, the one thing about Denver that you cannot replicate, no matter, at least not now, you don't have the kind of dogs on your roster that Denver does. Jokic is a dog. Bruce Brown is a dog. KCP is a dog. You start blowing down their roster, and they got nothing but just aggressive, angry, playing with a chip when they show the fellas from top to bottom. And the Celtics, you got Marcus Smart. That's it. That's why if you can't replicate the players, you got to replicate the attitude of the players. And that's why coaching is the clearest path for this Celtics team to have that type of edge that we didn't see this year because you're not going to get four or five dogs in here who, can, who are talented. 
just like that, it's not going to work. So what's the next best thing? Having guys who can instill that that aggressive, antagonistic, dog-like mindset in your players on your coaching staff. Uh, th- watching Denver, the way they just handle their business, is an absolute clear-as-day referendum on this is what championship basketball looks like. You have to have talent. You have to have an edge. And you have to have a certain consistency and a coach who is able to pivot to whatever is beneficial to your team in that moment and not need a time-delayed game one or two loss before you figure that out. The way that the one the one of the things, and it does, it's not going to get enough attention because of just how things played out. But the way Denver began to adapt to that zone defense, where they would get or getting the ball to Jokic at the at the free throw line or at the elbow and then letting him go to work. Shoot the short jump shot. If they play that, if if they sag, that's the shot you take. If they collapse on him near that, that elbow, you've got so many guys cutting, there's going to be a layup. And if they take away the cutter and if they do a good job defensively on you, you're going to have have one or two guys open in a corner for corner three. And they started to just chip away at that Miami zone with that going on. Oh, Miami, not too long because they realized they figured it out. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Celtics have to ne- take the next steps. And I think what, the, what I was saying was German after Calvin Booth, like he loaded the roster with talent. And some of those guys didn't play. You know, they had a lot of guys who like DeAndre Jordan and Ish Smith and guys that were, um, quite honestly, who probably could have played other NBA teams, gotten some minutes. But, you know, not everybody can play, but you load your roster with talent and you have and, you know, they drafted well. Christian Brown, the, the kid from Kansas, who was a wonderful player off the bench for them, you know, like. That you, you gotta you, you, you gotta hit on some of these guys, right? You gotta, you know, you can't, you know, you, you gotta you gotta do what's right. You gotta do it right sometimes. Reggie Jackson didn't play, and he was on that roster. Like you loaded the, the players with with talent, and you, you know, got a good rotation. That team, you could just say, you could just see the chemistry. They, they those guys like each other. They like playing together. And the one thing that I'll just say, all of them had a role. And the Celtics have to define, do a better job of defining roles. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, you know, like it was just it was just too much. Some of these guys didn't, you know, Mark and Smart trying to do one thing, Tatum trying to do another, t- Jalen trying to take over. Like everybody knows their role. And the one thing that I just noticed from Denver was, you know, we could be a mess offensively, but damn it, we're not going to let that affect our defense because that was the, the case. They were not good in game five offensively. They weren't, but they held Miami down, held them to, I think, 30% shooting in the second half um, and basically grinded out a win. And I think those are the games that the Celtics have to, those are the kind of games Celtics have to win sometimes. You're not going to win 120 to 110 and 120 to 105. Like everything ain't going to be pretty. You got to grind some games out. 94, 89. That was because I don't, you know, like to say, well, the Celtics should have swept Miami. No, Miami too good for that. They should have won that series in six. And, you know, you grind out games, games like game two in the series where they fell apart and the whole Grant Williams, Jimmy Butler thing. That's a game you grind out and you win. Like, you got to win those types of games. The Celtics are good at pulling away and blowing teams out. 
They led the league in point differential. It's when the games get close and tight and they've got to execute. And Denver was able to execute down the stretch and not necessarily great all the time, but just even them up, you know, hold off Miami, make one, get that one key rebound, that one key play, you know, because Jimmy Butler almost single-handedly brought them back um, in the fourth quarter, but the Nuggets matched bucket for bucket, then played enough good defense to force a turnover and make those winning plays. So the Celtics have a lot to work on. They have the talent. They have the, the blueprint, but now it's time to carry it out. Continuing that conversation that we had about what Miami had to deal with, with the Nuggets, what do you two make of the Denver Nuggets? What couldn't the Celtics learn? Hopefully they were at least tuning into some of the games. What do you think the Celtics learn from that potential dynasty? That's still to be determined. Well, I think Denver, you know, you can talk about them winning or being a dynasty because one, they just won a championship. But two, you look at their core group and there's really there's no one over 30 uh, in their core. So they still have guys that are either at their peak or pretty damn close to being at their peak and are going to be there for at least another two or three years. So the potential is absolutely there. If you're the Celtics, I think you have to understand and embrace the fact that you need to maximize moments of greatness. Uh, moments where you can be the absolute best in the world. And they failed to do that. They failed to do that last year when they were up in Golden State Series in the finals. They failed to do that in the conference finals where they basically, they spotted Miami uh, a three-zip series lead and damn near got all that back. Uh, and prob- I would say if it wasn't for a Jason Tatum ankle injury, they probably would have would have pulled off the, the, the miracle comeback and, and advanced to the finals. They don't do a good enough job of having the sense of urgency you need to at this point. You are a team that's built to win a championship. Their talent alone is not going to get it done. You look around the NBA, as as talented as the Celtics are, there are at least two, three, four teams that from a talent standpoint, top to bottom, are right there with the difference, effort, energy, sense of urgency. Uh, And they don't play with enough of that. And when you look at Denver, the one thing I, I, when I watched them play, the thing that jumped out to me more than anything else was Denver didn't have that many what I call empty defensive possessions, meaning guys were getting wide open shots. Miami didn't get a lot of wide open shots in this series. And and when they were close, they fought on, on, under screens. They fought over screens. They banged around the basket. My, Denver did everything you're supposed to do to claw, scratch, fight, bite your way to a title. And the Celtics, they, it seems like they don't want to get dirty like that. You want to win a championship? You need to give it needs to get messy. It needs to be ugly at times. I mean, help, as we pointed out, game five was 94-89. That is not what you want to see in a final uh, you know, championship caliber game. But that's what Denver needed to do to get the win. And they were willing to, to, to make the sacrifice to do that. Will the Celtics at some point get to the postseason and play with that sense of urgency and make those sacrifices with some consistency? We're waiting to see if that'll ever happen. And we're welcoming in a new partner of the English podcast, FactorMeals.com. During the prior spring season, you need wholesome, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more attractive days and keep you on track to reach your goals. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fill up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. 
You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. As someone who spends a lot of time on the road, particularly this time of year in the playoffs, Factor Meals is exactly what I need. Often you don't have time to prepare your meals in advance and, and go through all that process. Sometimes you just want to get a healthy meal, and you want to get a healthy meal in quick, no time uh, required to prep and things like that. And Factor is exactly what you are looking for. With 34-plus chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of 45-plus add-ons, including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato, bacon, and egg breakfast skillet. Oh, my. Oh, my. This is sounding good. Want to budget this month by cutting back on takeout? Get Factor instead. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. And here's the thing. The tip, you can tip yourself because you've earned it. Head to factormeals.com slash A-List50 and use the code A-List50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code A-List50 at factormeals.com slash A-List50 to get 50% off your first box. Yeah, well, I said I think the 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 Celtics have to play the season with a level of force, anger, and uh, just play mad. Like you know, I know it's one game at a time, and we got another one tomorrow, and you can't take every game. Like they got to go through and get that number one seed. Fit, you know, fit, you know, iron out all the issues. You can't. The one thing that happened with this team was all the issues that they went through lingered throughout the season and burning the playoffs, the lack of defense at times, lack of days play, relying too much on three pointers. All these things were things that we saw all during the regular season, big blown leads. We saw that all during the regular season and they were never addressed and never improved. And the Celtics were, well, they were good enough to get away with those mistakes and let's be honest, this team won 57 games. If they played sharp basketball more, they could have won probably 67 games. There's easily 10 games you could point to throughout the season that they lost that they probably could have won or should have won. So I'm not saying this team should have won 67 games. You're going to have games that you blow. You're going to have leads that are blown. You're going to have time where you just don't have it. But I think the Celtics have to play – with force throughout the season. And Denver won less games. Denver won 53 games during the season. But Denver locked it in during the playoffs. They didn't mess with their food. Minnesota in five, Phoenix in six, and they blow out win in a closeout game on the road. And then the Lakers, you know, they could have messed around with the Lakers. They took the first three. The Lakers gave them their best shot in game four. Nuggets fought and got that one too. And then they so they come into the to the series really, you know with a long rest, fresh, ready to go, and they took out the Heat in five. So they didn't play with their food. The Celtics is all up here too with the Celtics. Focus, not playing lackadaisically, playing hard on defense all the time. Don't let your offense affect your defense. All those things they can learn from the Nuggets. Nuggets weren't a perfect team, and it would, probably would have been a very competitive series if the Celtics had played them. But I can't guarantee you the Celtics would have the same focus as the Nuggets did. I don't know. You know, because the Celtics basically lost the first, like they thought in game one against Miami, they were up, I think, 12 in the first half. 
They thought, okay, we figured these guys out. This is not. And then that 46-point third quarter changed the entire series. Miami, then they end up losing the game. Game two, the Jimmy Butler situation, you know, and then in game three, they gave up. So it's just like you gave away three games in that series, and one of them because you just didn't show up. And so to me, it's all up here, mental fortitude, toughness, getting the dogs in there, playing who's going to go out there and play hard. If a guy's not playing hard or, hey, pull him. Like you see it happen in baseball. Guy don't run hard down, down the first baseline. Guy's lackadaisical. Guy gets beat, not getting back because he's complaining about calls. Nope. Like that's unacceptable. We can't have this because next year is the year. Like, you know, Milwaukee's going to be back. All these teams now are coming back from the dead. Philadelphia, all these teams that the Celtics had put down or were gone are back. So the Celtics going to have to realize that it's going to take more than what they provided last year. It's going to take more. Everybody, Jason, Jalen, like more focus, fortitude, not playing with your food. Oh, such a, this team doesn't have this player. Oklahoma City's not playing with Sage Alexander. Okay, let's learn. Let's lose by 33 to, to you know, I mean, that was embarrassing. Like, what's what, like, you know, it's one thing to lose. It's one thing to lose to a team. How many times they lose to teams without their star player, their top one of the top players? You know, um, game five against the Hawks with no DeJounte Murray and Horford admitted, maybe we maybe we kind of took the foot off the gas. Or same mm-hmm. thing with. Same thing with Joel Embiid in game one against the Sixers. You know, like, that can't happen anymore. Like, that's got to end. And it's on the players, too. It can't always be on Joe. This this is before, prior to Joe. So that's the thing, the mo- mental focus and mentally locked in. How bad do you really want it? That's the what the question the Celtics have to ask themselves. Well, another connection to the Boston area via the NBA Finals were three players that are now NBA champions. As a result, the first one, Jeff Green, the Celtics, they drafted him in 2007. He was their fifth overall pick. Ended up going to the C, the Supersonics, which obviously is the Thunder right now. The second person that's connected, my own alumni, fellow alumni, Reggie Jackson, Boston College alum. But finally, most importantly, I think at this point is Bruce Brown, who's from Dorchester, Boston's own and Gary Washburn you actually had a chance to talk to him after the game what did you two talk about yeah I mean very excited I mean obviously he's a guy who uh you know from Dorchester played at Wakefield High School then transferred to Vermont Academy um because as as you guys know if you're a if you're a D1 prospect in Boston generally you got to go to prep school like it's just the way it is it's very I think Shabazz Napier might be the one of the only a few players to come out of a Boston City High School and go go and have a uh, be a top D1 player. Most of the players transfer. And so he went to Vermont Academy and then played two years at the University of Miami, came out, was a second round pick and, you know, went to Detroit, found his kind of his footing there. He credited Dwayne Casey. Yeah, Sherrod, Detroit. Uh, credited Dwayne Casey <laughs> for discovering him and giving him an opportunity to play. Then he went to Brooklyn. And he thought that this summer, and I thought that everybody thought after his good series against the Celtics that he was going to get really, really paid. And it didn't happen. He got the two-year, $13 million deal 
with this with the Nuggets with a player option for this summer. I think he'll decline and go out of the As one. he should. You know, uh, so who knows where he'll be, but he'll be a free agent. But uh just a guy who's got a good story and and said, Hey, you know, I'm bringing I'm gonna try to bring the Larry O'Brien trophy back to 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 Dorchester, show the kids. What happens? Because he was a kid in Dorchester too, right? Right there, you know, playing in the in the Boston Public Leagues in terms of uh, the AAU circuit and the, the you know the summer leagues and that type of thing. He's a Boston kid, and I think that you know uh, Boston's a, a, a place that doesn't that has good basketball players. You know, I mean, from Wayne Turner, uh, Wayne Selden, Ron Lee, um, and you know, but but wants to get more respect for the the ballers that it produces and so i think this is a, a source of pride for boston especially dorchester area roxbury you know that that area of players and unfortunately you know you, you'd like to see these kids be able to flourish at boston city schools or whatever unfortunately instead of having to go to prep school but that's just the way it is obviously in this system but uh, it was good it was good to, to talk to bruce and just to see how proud he's still a very proud Bostonian, very proud kid from his from his hometown. And so uh, it was good to see that he was able to be successful and be a good part, a productive part of a championship team. He's such a dog, and I love that about him. I I love Bruce is my favorite player in the NBA right now. He is okay. my favorite player because it, and and I will be rocking a Bruce Brown jersey very soon. It's it's That's literally right. on its way. So. That's a boss Boston. I feel like if there's anyone they obviously Boston always reps people that are from there. So I feel like that jersey would be respected around the area, even though it's obviously not a Celtics one. <laughs> he's just so tough mentally. I mean, watching him play, I mean, he's on the floor. He's like what, fourth, fifth option offensively, and yet he's taking big shots. He's grabbing offensive rebounds. He's cutting to the basket, drawing contact, doing all and, and he's defending his ass off. Jimmy Butler wasn't struggling just because he was having a bad ankle or having a bad night. Bruce Brown kind of had something to do with that. Um, Bruce was one of the, him and KCP, I thought did a great job of making things difficult. And when you look at Bruce's, you know, position, he's a point guard, shooting guard, sometimes small forward, sometimes power forward, and will occasionally guard a center. He's basically a, just a army Swiss knife who carves up anyone and everyone he's got to deal with. And he's taking no prison. He plays with a nasty, I don't like you. Every second I'm on the floor, I will not like you. And I'm going to show you how much I dislike you. I love that about him. Love that about Bruce. That's my guy. I love Bruce. That's it's not team. often we talk about this, but because there's so much pride, like you said, Gary, like Dorchester, people that I've met from Dorchester, Mattapan and Roxbury, like they rep their they neighborhood. Rep their they are very proud. So, like hypothetical world, what do you think Bruce Brown could bring to the Celtics? Oh my God! <laughs> See, I'm the worst. Let's play fantasy land real quick right now because to me, he brings everything. He yeah. gives you everything that you wish you had that you don't. Right? He's tough. He's not afraid to take big shots. He's comfortable in late game situations he doesn't mind not being on the floor in those moments if that's what you as a coach feels best he has more than ready to take the big shot big play get the big defensive stop and he's just he's just ready for the moment the moment is never going to be bigger than Bruce Brown 
And there's not a lot of role players in the NBA who you feel comfortable and confident in saying that about. Because mm-hmm. role players, there's usually some nerves and jitters. Bruce ain't got that. He ain't built like that. He's just not. So he made everything for me. Everything. Everything. Gary, what do you think? Everything. Yeah, I mean, obviously they could use a dog, another dog, another good defensive player, combo guard. Um, now they obviously they'd have to make some moves, but you know, it's something they could look into. I think he would be a good Celtic. I think he'd be proud to come home, play in front of his family and friends. Um, you know, and he's he's a guy who's fearless, and I think that's what the Celtics need. And it might not be Bruce Brown, but they need more fearless guys, more guys with with, with that play with a chip on their shoulder, that play like their life depending on it, like it's their last game. And I think that that's what he brings to the table. And I think that's rare around the NBA, not only with the Celtics as these guys who who play for the, for, for the, for, uh, you know, with their hearts, leading with their hearts. And I think that's an important thing. And so it was good for him to see, you know, to not only, not only sign with Denver, but etch out an established role, um, and be a key part of that team, you know? And I think that's the thing. And you could tell that team is close, you know? They're close. They Those guys like each other. They've all been through a lot. Brown's been with two other franchises. Aaron Gordon was a guy who was supposed to be a kind of a superstar in Orlando, and it didn't work. And he's, you know, he's etched a, a role there in Denver that's not a superstar role, but a really workmanlike role. And he's turned himself into a very good player, a good you know, guy who could rebound, hit the shit, you know, post up, physical, all that, in addition to being a real great athlete. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope coming from the Lakers, a good defender. You know, they they've put together guys who have been other places that were like, oh, let's why can't we make this work here? And I think that that's what um is very important and the Celtics could take away from that. So uh I think, you know, hypothetically Bruce Brown would be a great addition to a lot of teams, um, including the Celtics. But I, but I, and I think he's going to have his pick. He's going to have his cho- uh, pick of the litter because I think he really helped himself during the playoffs. Well, there we go. I, I think uh, if you have any final words, I, I do have to point out something you said, that Denver team clearly likes each other a lot, but Jokic <laughs> is ready to go back to Serbia and celebrate. Yeah. He's that coworker that just goes to work. <laughs> And goes home. He was happy yeah, to win. He ain't, but it's trying, funny. He ain't, he ain't yeah. for, for that happy hour life. He's not no. trying to go to y'all cookout after work. No. Like, he wants to go but home to his family. Reports. He got the best report of everybody who fought reports yeah. in your office. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He did that he, he did you, know that that, you know there's no mistakes. Like, you don't even have to check it twice. No. <laughs> no, shout out to him again for being the finals MVP. Well, well deserved. That was a great series to watch and seeing how Denver has kind of elevated their city as a result. But that's a wrap, I think, for this week's episode of the A-List Podcast. Of course, Ashrod Blakely, Gary Washburn. Special thanks to our sponsors. Make sure you use the specific URLs and promo codes if you decide to join any of our favorite sponsors here on the A-List Podcast. Of course, that is Indeed.com, Factor Meals, and FanDuel. But for Ashrod Blakely and Gary Washburn, I'm Kwani Lunas, live from the Vineyard. We'll be back next week. Hopefully there'll be some news to talk about. There's always NBA news. Yeah, but I'm going to stay bougie until then. Have a good week. Mm -hmm. So bougie.